Hi, it's Amy Vertries. Welcome to Group Coaching. We have Athena here, and we're going to talk about coaching. Um, you know, actually, what I'll do is I'll start um, as you're thinking. I just wanted to make sure that that uh, you know, like a public service announcement. I posted in the Facebook group too. But the most important thing is you don't have to know what you need coaching on. What? <laughs> And you can enter anywhere in the model. You know, we talk about the model of, you know, see the circumstance neutral and the more neutral, the better. It can't be like my terrible job, you know, that's not neutral. (laughs) And then, um, so you try to get that as neutral as possible. And especially what people say, it's so interesting when we say like someone said something, but when we like think and and look um, and really pay attention to the words that they say, we add so many layers of, um, judgment and thoughts and even extra words that aren't even there. So very fascinating once you start really carefully listening to what uh, people say, if you use that as a circumstance. And an interesting um, strategy is, is that a circumstance could be something you say to yourself. You know, it doesn't make it true, but if it's a circumstance, it means, you know, you know that this is something that you say to yourself and then it's how you think about yourself. That's like some upper level stuff there. Um, thoughts are just, uh, of course, all the thoughts that whatever comes up in our mind and, and for the thought model should be just one thought, uh, you know, just kind of pick the one that bothers you the most or the one that keeps coming up. Um, the emotion is the emotion that that thought brings up in you. The action is what you do from that state of emotion. And the result is what you're getting from it. Um, and if you're not sure what to get coached on, if you're like, you know, you can, you can come anywhere in the model. Like I just, I feel like little unsettled and I'm not sure why, or, you know, I keep, um, you know, not going to the gym and I don't understand why that's an action, you know, and, um, the, or, I mean, that could actually even be a result too, you know? Um, so, or, you know, some circumstance, I'm starting a new job. We can have lots of thoughts that we just haven't really quite thought of our thoughts yet. (laughs) So what are your thoughts? (laughs) <laughs> well, um, one thing that's been frustrating me is that um, I have not been exercising like I like to and maybe not following my um, what I like to do for um, my my diet and be- behaviors as well. So, I mean, I think that's something I really should be I want to get started doing and and what I used to do was get up in the morning and just do it and then then I had a plan for my food intake and I just have gotten off of that plan mm-hmm. what do you think has changed for you um I, I think things are probably they're probably just more stressful and then once I get out of the habit I don't it's really hard to get back on it. <laughs> right. And so th- what are, give me an example of a day when you made the decision that you wanted to exercise, then what happened? Or do you not get to that point at all? Um, so what I'll usually wake up sometime at like four 30 or so. And I'll think, Oh, I should get up and, and, do like, you know, 30 minutes exercise on, um, I have a spin bike or, or get on the treadmill and, or do yoga or something. And then I'll kind of lay there for a little bit or, 
then maybe I'll fall back to sleep and then I'll realize, oh, I need to get going because I really have a lot of patients to round on or um, OR to get to. And then it's, if I don't do it first thing in the morning, it's, I just know I d I'm not very good at doing later in the day. Okay. So, and I think that it seems like the, so it's the circumstance, I'm trying to think that, so the circumstances, let's say like a morning. So you said the morning works best for you. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, and take me to your most recent day again. Do you remember the day and the time? Yes. So even today, <laughs> okay, so I was today. laying there at four 30 and I thought I probably checked my email and then I realized that the dog was pretty warm and I turned right back over. <laughs> <laughs> no, is this when you were telling yourself that thought I should exercise? Yes. And it was, and I was thinking, all I need to do is put on my shoes and then I'll go downstairs and do it. Okay. And, you know, we'll get to the motion in a second, but you can kind of tell the action that you're doing. It's like, I'm telling you, I'm going to do it. Yes. Two. So basically this is on repeat, right? Yes. So just right. these, this is the, the talking. So we talk, we talk mm -hmm. to ourselves. <laughs> and then what are the other actions that you do? Um, I do something to avoid it. You mentioned like, yeah, email. Yes. Oh, avoidance. Okay. And then I probably, then sometimes I'll think, oh, well, I have to get up soon anyway. I'm not going to have time to exercise, which I know that even if I did 10 minutes of stretching, I'd feel better. Mm -hmm. So I just yeah. need to do it. <laughs> yeah. And so then like, so you run out of time. Yes. Yes. What are the, the, when you're thinking, like when you're checking email and you're thinking about exercising and, you know, it sounds like you're telling yourself, oh, I should be doing all this for for work. I should be getting ready for work and look, I'm out of time. Well, look, I'm out of time. <laughs> I know. Right. What is the result that you're getting from this? Uh, I don't feel like how I'd like to feel. I'm not presenting my best self to myself. Feel crappy. I'm um, paraphrasing. Um, and then you also tell yourself, I'm not, yeah. What are you telling yourself? So you're not your best self. You said, yeah, right. I'm, I'm failing at something that I'd like to do. Yeah. There it is. I'm failing. Yes. Tell, tell myself I'm failing. Yes. And what is this emotion that you have um, when you get up and you're thinking about exercising? What is kind of that overriding emotion that you have in there? Um, I guess maybe it's, it's not really a positive emotion. It's kind of like dread, like, oh, I, I should do that, but I'm just going to lay here. Um, it's, it's not enthusiastic. It's like the opposite of enthusiastic. <laughs> I think you said it. I heard dread there somewhere. Yes, definitely dread. Like, mm, I don't really want to get up and do that. No, tell me like when you now, like saying this out loud, what's coming up for you? 
that I'm making excuses that aren't that <laughs> aren't acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh look, I'm beating myself up. I should probably beat myself up some more. <laughs> right, right. Just keep digging it deeper. Well, yeah, but it's interesting though, like when you, you know, this seems relatively simple and goodness knows, I know several of us on here probably are doing the exact same thing. You know, we get up, we say we're going to do something and there's some reason that we don't do it. Um, and you know, the, the question is like, is it about exercise or it is about something else? Um, tell me how you feel about exercise. Why do you want to do it? Um, well, I like to exercise because it always makes me feel better. And like, I'm 44 and I, I couldn't, I never thought I'd get this way, but I'll get up and I'm like, Oh man, everything hurts. And you know, it's like, I'm like, gosh, this isn't, I'm only 44. <laughs> so I like, when I do it, I feel much better and I'm ready to go. And I feel like I've accomplished something. And, you know, then, then like my patient list, I can even get through that even more efficiently because I've already accomplished something big for the day, which is, you know, and then I'm taking, if I do it, I take care of myself, which makes me thinking better, you know? So. Mm -hmm. You had another thought that came up there too. Like I could just stretch for 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> yes. Why don't you? Because I get, I wait till the last minute and then I get going and then I'm like, Oh gosh, I have, you know, seven patients to see in the hospital. I better get going. I got to get that done before the OR clinic. Mm -hmm. So it seems like, you know, what's really kind of keeping you from exercising are these other like little filtered thoughts in here yes. of like, when you have this space right. that you carve out just for yourself, then it sounds like what's happening is there's your space is not quite walled off. Yes, but, definitely. So it, there's like all these unresolved things. And I, that seems to be where the dread is coming from. And, you know, it's not, I should exercise. It sounds like I should do the patients and this and everything. They, you know, like, it's like, I should right. do everything else. Right. And the problem with these moments of time that we give us, and I know that one of our um, uh, panel or group here is said this exact same thing, is that we just don't know how to give ourselves some space. Right. Because what happens, we have these like tremendously demanding jobs. Mm -hmm. And the one problem is if we create a little bit of space for us, it's like a vacuum for all mm -hmm. the things we think that we're terrible about. <laughs> yes, right. Does that sound yeah. kind of, yes, it's yeah. exactly it. Are there other times where you try to carve out some time for yourself where the same thing happens? Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> Cause maybe I'll get, I'll think, okay, I'm, I'll get home and I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to take the dog for a walk. And then, then man, I, I really need to sign these notes before mm -hmm. I do anything else. Or I remember I was going to check this lab. So then I'll get distracted to go <coughs> and log on the computer. And then, then it ends up being dark. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to go outside in the dark. And mm -hmm. yeah. 
So hearing this, you know, the idea that you're, when you create space for yourself, it's like a vacuum for all the things that you're feeling unworthy about. Uh huh. How do you feel about that? That's, it's totally true. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it's probably like the whole thing with, um, oh, when it, when you, uh, meditate, it's like, I would probably, it would take me a long time to get to meditating because everything would be coming at me all the time. Like mm-hmm. this long list of things. Mm-hmm. Now in your day of your 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. do you feel like there's 30 minutes that, that you could spare? Oh, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, would you allow yourself time blocks for yourself? Um, I, I think I should. I just need to block them out and, and make them happen. Yeah. You know what the key is? Deciding ahead of time. Mm-hmm. The knowing that it could be a vacuum Right. You decide it's actually not going to be a vacuum. Yeah. I, um, I like a lot of visualization. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that are on my calendar. Like I, cause I've tried to do like the budget details. Doesn't work. Try to do like the calendar stuff, like plan out every single minute of the day. Doesn't work. Right. Because something happens and all it does is, is it's just another way to shame ourselves. Yes. And what I started doing, and this was when I started coaching too, I was like, whenever I was on call, I blocked out everything, wouldn't allow anything, you know, I was like, oh, this is all for call. And then I, but then life goes on. And so I started saying, you know what I do? I mean, if I, unless someone's dying and everyone understand if I had to reschedule, but there's going to be a time on the schedule that I'm just going to make work. It's not Mm -hmm. negotiable. Yes. And it's just as simple as deciding ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, is that you're getting up at the time that you want to get up to exercise. Right. You have the space where you're, you can accomplish whatever you want. Uh-huh. Just in this moment, you're defaulting to something that doesn't help. Right. We all do it. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, but the problem is, um, we are somewhat become at the mercy of whatever our brain tells at the time right. if we don't decide ahead of time. So yes. one, very, one very simple thing here, I mean, it's very simple to say, well, I'm just going to block off 30 minutes. I already, already woke up anyway. And you'll make a huge amount of progress by just doing that of this 30 minutes is mine. Nobody okay. else's not notes, not work, not nothing. Um, so it takes a little bit of like the prefrontal cortex planning. Um, and it's a boundary with yourself. This boundary with yourself just doesn't let anything else in. And it, it, what happens though, is like right now, and we all do this too, we become reactors to everything. I'm a reactor to the schedule, a reactor to this and this and that. Like, and if we don't, and the problem is because we take on so much, sure, I'll do that committee. Sure, we'll see five more patients. You know, sure, like the person admits, and sometimes we don't have a choice. So someone bounced back, and I was like, well, "I'm not on call, but they're mine." You know, and that's that's the problem with the surgeon is that we can't predict our schedule, but we can block off a time and say, 
yes, I'm going to do these, but I'm not going to do them right here. Mm -hmm. So the block of time is the simple part. The hard part is how you're managing, how you feel about yourself with these other things. Yeah. Because if you don't think of those other things that are invading and have a plan to deal with those, what will happen is that you'll block off 30 minutes next week, you know, tomorrow even, and it'll go really well. And then on Thursday, you're going to block off 30 minutes and you say, oh, but if I just do this, yeah. And then by next week, it'll be been forgotten. You know how I know? (laughs) I've done that too. (laughs) Um, It's mostly just coming up with commitment to yourself. Um, And the thing is, is that that's the problem sometimes with action line coaching. I tell you to block off 30 minutes and nothing else can, can go in there. Unless you start working on these thoughts of I should do this because should came up a lot. I should sign these notes. I should do these things. Should is is like the equivalent of shame. Mm-hmm. How do you feel when you tell yourself like, I should sign these notes? Well, there's a lot of things I should do. And when I don't do them, I feel really bad. <laughs> and this is simply a sign of the pylon, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually not about exercise at all. It's the pylon, it's the punishment. It's the, you know, I, um, the, this dread of waking up every day and dreading, like, how am I going to do all this? Cause I haven't really figured out a way to, to manage everything. Right. Yeah. Is, have you thought of ways to plan your days and your thoughts to allow yourself to feel like you're able to do these things or not do them. Start saying, no, can't do it. Not yeah. time. I think I'll just make it that I get up at five 30 and I, you know, I, the night before I set my shoes out and, and some, you know, yoga pants and a t-shirt and I'm just, that's, what I'm just going to do. And there's a couple things, there's a couple things to consider. Atomic habits was fantastic. So first I'm going to talk about like some action stuff, but then we're going to go back to the thoughts. Okay. So the action thing is that, you know, if you, t- in yourself, the thought that came up for you was like, I can stretch for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you wake up, I'm going to give myself 30 minutes, but I'm just going to stretch for 10 minutes. Or maybe I'll just have something, coffee, you know, do whatever I want. Also, but I'm only going to do 10 minutes. No problem. Um, but it's the, the little permissions that we give ourselves, because that's what's missing here is that you're not giving yourself the permission to do it. There's that person in the back of your head saying, but you should do all these other things. <laughs> you can potentially pick these other tasks that come up in your mind and to say, these notes that I'm going to sign, Let's give me something that you need to do that you haven't done yet. Anything. Uh, my medical director hours. <laughs> what are medical director hours? Oh, uh, like I have a medical directorship and we have to record our hours. Okay. Um, what does that involve? I'm not familiar um, with it. Like a timesheet. Okay. 
So you've already done these hours. You just have to write them down. Oh yeah. I've already done them. I just need okay. to turn the thing in so I can, so that they can pay me. Yeah. So timesheets, how long does it take you? Well, it takes a lot longer when I worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Now we're getting somewhere, right? <laughs> okay. When I so it for weeks to get it done. And if I would just sit down and do it, it's done. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, you're, you're getting a lot of insight into this. So how long do you think if you sat down and did it right now, and that's all you had to do in your entire life? Yeah. How long would it take? Mm, probably less than half an hour. Okay. So let's say 30 minutes. When do you want to do it? I'm probably going to be very motivated when we're finished and I will do them tonight. <laughs> all right. So after call. 30 minutes. So, and this, this is how you become the leader of your life. You know, it's not like a, Oh, I should do this because should is the weakling should is the shaming. You say, I will do this. This is going to take me 30 minutes. And if you want to do have the call, that's great. If you don't, I am the leader of my life. I think I'd like to do it nine o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> the it's the, giving yourself direction, the realizing how you're talking to yourself. Ah, uh, remember this takes 30 minutes. I'm going to find some time on my schedule. Uh -huh. I compare it with something I do like, cause this sounds like this sucks. <laughs> and just say, I'm going to exercise for 30 minutes. Yeah. I'm going to grab a coffee. I'm going to do this for 30 minutes. What you're doing is you're giving your brain direction. The, this is a, um, a really great strategy from the now habit. Why Neil Fiore, Fiore or whatever. I posted the blog post on my summary of it, that book. Um, but he calls this guilt-free play is that it's not this, that's the problem. It's this time. That's the problem. It's all the tasks that we're supposed to do. That takes more time, more mental energy that are the problem. Uh -huh. Because when you get up to exercise and you tell yourself, I need to do my timesheet. No, nine o'clock afterwards. Yeah. It's going to take us 30 minutes. And then when we start doing these tasks and giving them a block of time, then we start being realistic about the time frame, And that's especially true for clinic. And I, I mentioned this before my clinic tomorrow is from nine to, oh no, it's afternoon. My clinic tomorrow is from one to three 30. Yeah. Does anyone think my clinic is from one to th one to three 30? No. no. I'm going to get there at 1230. I'm going to look at the different things. I'm going to go to a tumor board. I'm going to worry about stuff. I'm going to look at the schedule, realize, gosh, there's a lot of people on here. I don't want to see this person. This person's going to have a problem. I don't know what this is. So that's like an hour ahead of time. Mm -hmm. My notes, I know we're probably going to take me another, um, it used to take like two hours. Mm -hmm. I started making some changes, so an hour and a half. Right. And so if I tell myself, my clinic is from one to 3.30, then tomorrow, when I get there at 12, wish I had gotten there at 1130 and I stay till six, I'm going to be really ticked off at myself. <laughs> right. That's where the, the shame and the shoulds and the dread come from yeah. is um, us not being the leader of our life, mm -hmm. us being the victim and the reactor of our life. Yes. What happens you know, the other thing then that you start realizing is that when you're firm on your times, or at least realistic in your times, 
Then when they ask me to, to go on a committee or do a task, review a paper, and mm-hmm. I look at my schedule and I was like, I'd really like to do that, but I can't. Right. And then we have to address the other thing of what happens we have things on our plate that we don't want to do and we don't have to do them. And right. we kind of know we don't have to do them. So then we don't do them because we don't really yeah. feel like we have to do it because we're not really committed, but then we feel like we should. <laughs> that sound familiar too? Yes. What other things do you need to do? Do you have any charts you haven't signed? Uh, well, today's. I've been trying to stay on top of those. <laughs> but those are something I definitely dread to. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing is that we dread it because we, they take more time than we think. Right. Every time. Uh, yeah. And so the, you know, so your charts, how long do you think it'll take to sign your notes? Um, Finish your notes. Yeah, prob- probably about an hour and a half or so. Okay. Today. Mm-hmm. Do you want them doing today? Probably not. <laughs> I don't want to do them, but then if I don't do them today, then I've got tomorrow's and. No, it's nighttime. Yes. And I'm still in my office. <laughs> yeah. So when do you get time for yourself? Um, well, when I say that this is time for myself and I'm going to have some better boundaries, that this is time that I go home to my family, see my kids and my husband, and that'll, and this will work out. And then I'll make a plan that tomorrow from, after I exercise and I get here early and I make some rounds, if I have, you know, a little bit of time, I'll schedule that in and then I'll sign today's notes. How do you feel about that? I like that plan a lot better because you're right. Then I'm in control. <laughs> like, I'm not sure I'm in central time. So it's like six 30. What time is it for you? Yes, it is six 30. Uh-huh. Go home, do it tomorrow with a plan. <laughs> Give yourself permission. I think that's the one thing that I hope that you take away from this is that you decide, I don't want to do my chime sheets today after this call. It is 630 at night. I'm going to go home because Mm -hmm. tomorrow I know it's only going to take 30 minutes and I'm going to be specific about what time that is. Mm -hmm. And when you're specific and you set aside that time, you say, and then it becomes so much easier to say, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm just going to sit down and do it. And I'm going to put myself on a timer, 30 minutes. That's it. It's you're basically arguing with that part of your brain that doesn't want to do it. That like the little, like the unruly toddler. This is, I don't want to do the timesheets. That sucks. Yeah. Um, but if you say, if you sit down and say, after this, we'll be able to do something. Then it's so much easier to do that. Yeah. Go home to your family, right. you know, with a plan mm-hmm. because you don't want to go home to your family and dread it. I should be doing something else. Because what happens is that each activity carries over to the next one about how I should do these things. So now you go home. Amy said, I can go home, but I really should have done this. (laughs) What's your schedule look like tomorrow? Uh, A little less busy, but I see myself doing this also when like, it's like we're going out of town next week for vacation. 
And I, if I don't finish my notes, then I'm taking my computer with me. I usually take it anyway, because something might happen to a patient and I need to look at images or whatever, but it's, I mean, it, it, I just need to be better about these are boundaries. Like this is vacation time. I need to focus on my family and, and relaxing and make the plan that everything's done beforehand. Um, an idea. I, if someone told me not to take my work computer on vacation, that would actually be more stressful to me. Yes. (laughs) But this is what you could do instead that I am going to go on vacation Uh and from eight to eight 15 or eight 30, I'm going to give myself permission to open up that computer and Mm -hmm. look at stuff and stop at eight 30. And then at night, I'm going to give myself permission that it's okay to look at it from 8 p.m. to 8.30. I'm making up these times, you know. Because on vacation, you can pull aside this time if you want. Right. That's one strategy, very reasonable. So then you're directing yourself. I will not think of it in between these times. Mm -hmm. That firm boundary, but leaving yourself open because I, I feel responsible for doing that. It actually takes less stress off me. That's just my personal thing. Yes. And then, you know, what's interesting is that you can start evolving to trusting other people and doing things, building yourself some time before and after vacation Uh and empowering other people on your team to help to where you can start to say, I can actually maybe check it every other day. Right. Maybe I can actually leave my computer at home. It could happen. Yeah, I'd be a hypocrite if I said I'd do it, but whatever. <laughs> but I do have strong boundaries um, on that, and that helps. Uh huh. But you know, nothing has changed in the last like thirty minutes that we've talked, except for the fact that you have now figured out that you actually decide. Yeah. Yes, I have some tools now. Some more tools. Absolutely. These, these are fantastic things. So I absolutely love this aspect um, of just of time management because so much time is wasted on dread and shoulds and guilt. And we, we make this 30 minute task like two days. Yes. Uh, and we all do it. Right. I'm anxious to hear how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> of course. Anyone else interested in coaching today? I've changed all your names. I planned ahead because I realized if I don't plan ahead, I come up with the lamest names ever or name people two things, the same things. So I looked up female goddesses because why not? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who's next? And if you're not sure if you have something to get coached on, we could practice on what happens when you say you don't have anything to get coached on. All right. Let's see. Let me think what things. I know someone something. Um, we could talk about a couple things. Let's see. Uncomfortable things. I'll just wait till see if anyone wants to pop up. Um, I talked a little bit uh, about work stuff um, before about writing stuff down. Um, I have, I have this, this is actually my journal right here and I write things down 
just ignore the post-it notes. I'm trying to get away from that. Um, making you feel like I'm getting myself together. But when you start like writing stuff down, it's really fascinating what happens, the simple act of writing stuff down. Um, when I started just writing down all my goals, it gave myself a little bit of calm because I didn't think that, because there's like the, I should remember to do this. It's the shoulds again. Anytime you hear the word should, that's like a red flag. Why, why should I write this down? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to forget. Am I really going to forget? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so I just write it down. Um, and then once you get in the habit of that too, and you develop systems in place to write things, then you're becoming the leader of your life. And I think that's one thing that we don't necessarily learn um, going through residency because it's you know very linear. And then as attendings, we can still do, we basically do this a lot of the same things we do as residents. But when you start really becoming the, um, the true attending, when you're making your own schedule, when now you're having to work with other people, you have to start leading the team. And the very first person that you need to lead is yourself. And I think um, that Athena's example is a perfect one because we are used to being somewhat led. So we don't realize that we can stop that and we can start directing it. Uh, oh yeah, what about my topic of the imposter syndrome that you talked about? I'm curious about the idea of letting that thought be there with every other thought. I love this idea of imposter syndrome of as just another person. Um, you know, let's talk about, does anyone on the call feel like an imposter? You know, what's interesting is I never actually felt like an imposter. A, a, a friend of mine, <laughs> a friend of mine said that uh, she was going to give me a shirt that says, that sounds crazy. I'm in. That's totally me. But the problem is, is that I'll go and I'll do stuff. And then like, then I look around and no one's there. And I'm like, oh crap, I should probably stop. That's my problem. It's not the first start. Um, but Aphrodite, you want to come on? Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved your comment about that to just let that be another, like you said, like a person, like that's just another thought in your brain and it gets to live there just as much as the thought of like, um, I really wanna do this. So why shouldn't, why does the imposter one get a, a louder voice, so to speak? And you know, what's interesting is I learned this a little bit with patients. You know, those like irritating, annoying, patients that ask a million questions and they're really rude and stuff like that. Um, if we take them at face value, we push them away. We act not great to them, but when we realize why are they acting this way? Maybe we should sit down and talk to them. Then we really feel what happens is, is that they're acting out. They're scared. They're, you know, and, and in some ways it's, you know, part of us being protective. So uh, really, you know, pulling them up, you know, pull up a chair. Let's talk. Why are we, why are we feeling like an imposter? Um, let me flip this. I want you to think of any situation that it can be past, present, any situation in which you felt like you were an imposter. Uh, like being a doctor that should work. <laughs> How's that for a little broad? No, I, I very specific specifically I think many times I feel like that when I'm training residents. Like, yeah, they, yeah. like I'm the expert and I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Yes. I have an idea. What is the thought? So C is residents, you know, teaching residents. 
We all know you teach residents. Everyone agrees in the court of law, you teach residents. What is, you're teaching residents and something comes up and you have a feeling. What, what is a, a pain point for you? Like, what is the feeling that you're having? Um, I think it's sometimes, I, I think it honestly stems from whenever maybe I'm taking care of a patient that's like very complicated or really sick or, you know, it, you know, you just have those, those times whenever you're kind of just making it up because, you know, the patient didn't follow the textbook or, you know, it's just, you're kind of in uncharted territory and yeah. you have to, like, I feel like I still have to remain in control and be calm and like all knowing, but I'm inside sort of like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So there's this thought that came up, like I'm making this up. Yeah. What does that mean about you? Or what are you making it mean about you? Um, I've done a lot of work on this, Amy. So I'm hoping that it is much better than where it was when I first started maybe a year ago. Um, but I think a lot of times I made it mean that like, I shouldn't really be doing this. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a little bit more comfortable with the idea of like, it honestly doesn't mean anything. It just means I take care of really hard patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and like my past has sort of allowed me to get through these patients. Um, but I have to say like right now I have two patients that are sitting on my service that I honestly have zero idea what to do with them. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's coming up again right now where I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I'm not really sure what to do. And it, and it does sort of make me think like, well, maybe I'm not good enough to have done their surgery in the first place. Do you know that this is the thought that bothers me on call? Yeah. Right. I know Mm -hmm. that's a hard feeling whenever you don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. It took me a little while to get to this thought because that was not the first thing that happened because, and this is kind of where I think that your kind of journey is leading a little bit too, is you know, there's a lot of thoughts that come up. I'm teaching residents and I, I, this is actually not really this, that's just, you know, like a circumstance or like the surrounding area. This is, I guess, a difficult, you know, a patient, um, not, um, I guess typical of like textbook, not typical textbook. So everyone agrees, maybe not a clear answer. Patient with not a clear answer. And if you have this thought, like you're making this up, I don't know what to do. I'm teaching these residents. And what do you think when you teach these residents? I think you said I shouldn't be doing this or something. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm sort of like, well, maybe I shouldn't have done this case or, you know, maybe I, you know, I should have just handed that to my, you know, my partner. I'm sure they would have, you know, miraculously had a way better outcome or something. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, even as I say it out loud, that sounds dumb, but that's, that's where my brain gets me. So it's not dumb at all. It's exactly what you're, I mean, this is, this is your, um, your imposter in your brain coming from, right? So I think this is probably where you, would you agree? This is where your pain point is of, of these three thoughts that you have. Yes. Okay. And Oh, isn't it interesting? It happens to have shouldn't in there. <laughs> But that's really, because what it is, is, you know, it's scolding us, you know, it's putting us down. I shouldn't be doing this. But let's take this. So the circumstance, 
patient's not typical textbook. And, you know, our thought is, I shouldn't be doing, I shouldn't have done this case. I should have given it to my partner. I should have done this. Because what is this emotion that you're feeling? Oh, I mean, inadequacy. There's, there's shame in it. Mm-hmm. Guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing very um, nice or, or, or <laughs> very caring yeah. towards myself, for sure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of beating up in that. Yeah. And of course, what is the result or what are the actions that you do as a result when you're feeling this inadequacy? What is, of, of these feelings, what is, I shouldn't be doing this. If you were to pick one, which of these ones seem to, to strike the, the most chord with you? Um, I think sort of shame and embarrassment. Like those yeah. two, I have a hard time distinguishing those two. Yeah. And um, I think this is a really great time to do comparison. I've talked a lot about complications. There is, um, I think it was Brene Brown that, that gave the distinction I thought was so helpful, is guilt. I feel bad that something happened. I feel bad about this event. You know, my patient had a complication or I'm not sure I came up with the, um, I'm not sure if what my choice was the best one for this patient. You know, feeling guilty is about the event. When it develops into shame is when you say, this happened because of me. This has happened because I'm inadequate. You know, this is shame about ourselves. Guilt is the event and shame is about ourselves. And this is where the pain comes in is that you can feel guilty in an event, the event passes and, you know, you can kind of learn from guilt. You can learn from guilt, but it's difficult to learn from shame because what are the actions that come from shame? Um, I mean, I withdraw and I, I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to, you know, because it's like, I, I don't want anyone to know. I mean, that's part of the imposter syndrome, right? Like, oh my gosh, discover that like, (laughs) I shouldn't be a doctor. I mean, it's so ridiculous how big you take it instantaneously, you know? Tell myself everyone will know. Everyone will know what? Oh, that I, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. Like. And then what happens as a result of these actions? So you withdraw, you don't ask for help and you kind of want to hide the details because you don't want everyone to know. Right. So, I mean, the biggest thing is, is I don't learn, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I'm not collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly sending a very poor message to my residents mm-hmm. who are, you know, watching me no matter what I do, right? <laughs> like good, mm-hmm. bad, whatever residents are always watching. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I end up either, you know, I'll be like, well, I'm just not going to do, you know, that case again, or, you know, whatever, but then I, or I'll be completely insecure the next time I go into that circumstance or doubting myself every step of the way, instead of just saying like, okay, it happens. And we move on. I I really didn't, I was going to go into complications, but God, that went really fast because I was thinking about the complication I'm having right now. So, yeah. Well, it is interesting too, is, you know, let's, I know it's messy, 
I can't help myself. I had to write everything down. Um, <laughs> let's look at this model for a minute here. Patient is not typical textbook. First, what does that mean? A patient is not typical textbook case. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I work at a big academic center. And so a lot of my patients come in with either disease processes that are very advanced or they're very complicated because they got referred to me because I'm the expert, right? And so the patients are not, you know, they have a lot of what I would call like baggage coming with them. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just a straightforward surgery. Mm -hmm. um, instead, they have a lot of other stuff, or maybe somebody's already tried to do something and, or nobody else will touch that patient. And lo and behold, they end up at my doorstep. Mm -hmm. And when you kind of like, and this is why getting to the circumstance is most helpful and looking at your circumstance again, a little bit differently, like, let me think of their circumstance, because if a patient is not typical textbook, one thing, it's not that I don't know what to do, that no one knows what to do. <laughs> so, <there's> right. <laughs> so very first off the top, if we eliminate all this crap here and just look right here, the patient is not the typical textbook, which means nobody knows. So no one knows what the right answer is. Otherwise, there'd be a guideline, there'd be something in the textbook, you know, it would, it would be like, we're not cooks. We don't just look, look a recipe and figure out what to do. This is not typical textbook. So no one knows. That's one part. Um, the second part is I'm at an academic center. They come to me because we do these things. And these things sometimes suck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird. Cause like, you know, I'll sit there and say like, I'm the expert. Like there's no question. Like I'm the expert in the area. Like that's it. And I know that. And like, that's real. But then in the very next sentence, I'll be like, but yet I don't know what I'm doing. And like, I'm, you know, such an imposter and someone's going to figure out that like, I don't know what I'm doing. And that's the lovely part of imposter syndrome is no matter how many times you tell yourself. And that's why I really liked what you said about like, let that be a voice with every other voice that's in there instead of it being like, you know, the voice that you kind of dread and fear and sort of like, I don't know, somehow listen louder. Like you somehow listen to that one because it's louder than everyone else. Yeah. When the imposter in your life says, I shouldn't be doing this. Pull up a chair. Why shouldn't I? So when you ask yourself, why shouldn't I do this? What does your imposter say? Uh, well, I, I mean, obviously I shouldn't be doing it because I had a complication or it didn't go the way that I wanted it to. What would you tell her when she says that? Yeah. I mean, like if I pull myself away from me and I'm talking to like one of my partners, I'll be like, yeah, it happens. It's not a big deal. And like you take care of the sickest of the sick and you're willing to do that, you know, like take a break, take a, take a breath. Uh, you probably should be the one doing it because you're willing to do it. Yeah. And then she's also telling you, but you don't know what to do, right? Or do you? This, so you have this patient that's not textbook and your imposter says, I don't know what to do. What do you tell her? 
I mean, if I listen to that voice, then I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't know what to do. But if I'm really going to be, you know, nice to myself and I, or again, like if I took this as this was my colleague, I'd be like, well, of course, you know what to do. You know, let's think through it. Let's go step by step. I mean, kind of like, you know, what you were talking with, with Athena, just make a plan, like have a plan in your brain. And then all of a sudden um, your brain starts to feel a lot better about that. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, your posture says, hide. Don't learn. Right. Don't let anyone find out. If you pull it aside, say, oh, no, no. If we do that, what'll happen is that we'll withdraw and we're not going to ask for help. And, you know, then, but I teach residents. They need to know that this, what happens with these textbook patients. And so when you sit down and this per- and your imposter says, I shouldn't be doing this, right? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Like, oh, actually we do know what to do. We do know what to do. We need to be there for our patients. We need to show resonance that it's okay not to know because this circumstance is every surgeon's circumstance. Right. Even academic centers gets complicated stuff. Community yep. hospital, we get some wacky stuff. Exactly. I mean, it's not just that, but you know, we just get a lot that's like, oh, we've already tried this or oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, But I do, I think it's a really important lesson for residents to see, like, it's okay to not know. And it's okay to, to just try a little bit and, and kind of go back to your basics. Mm -hmm. You do basics and you do know a lot of things, but maybe you don't know this case, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things you can apply. Mm -hmm. This, this phrase is, you know, it took me a long time to get to this surprisingly, like on call. You get the call, cirrhotic, hernia, you know, whatever, all these, like all these other things, you know, they're a smoker, they're homeless, you know, all these things. And, and, you know, I get this call and you get all snappy on the phone, like what the hell? And really what it is, is I'm telling myself, I don't know what to do. But then when I realized what that thought was, I'm like, I actually do know what to do. I give them orders. I get dressed. I go in there and see the patient. I give them the best assessment that I can. I write, come up with a plan. I ask for help. I learn from the case and realize I can't fix everybody's problem. It's this thought, this your imposter speaking this out loud when you say, oh, but we actually, we do know what to do. Um, I know what you're worried. I know that this is scary. And we may actually make it, we actually may make a wrong decision. We may go in M&M and someone will say, that is not right. That might happen. But now I, and I think about that and I actually have worked through this as well of like, well, what happens whenever you stand up in front of people and they say, well, what you did was wrong. Like nothing happens. Like at the end of the day, nothing actually happens. <laughs> like There's no like police that come out and be like, well, you just did that wrong. I mean, because that's like one person's opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously learn from that, but like the idea of somebody just getting upset and on their high horse during Eminem, I'm like, wait, that's not, that's not my issue. And, and I've done a lot of work on that too. Mm-hmm. And think about the people that you um, respect and you know, really respond to as you were, when you were a resident, do you talk to, like, did you enjoy or learn from the person who withdrew 
snapped at you, because that's usually snapping and making sure that there's no environment for asking questions is the epitome of someone who is hiding. That's the asshole surgeon. They're assholes because people don't ask assholes questions. They're just as insecure, but it comes across as not insecure. It comes across as, well, they must know. I'm not going to ask them because then maybe they'll know that I don't know. And they're like, huh, master plan worked. They asked me nothing. <laughs> so the person you're going to go to is the one who's going to say, you know, I don't know. This is not a typical textbook one. Let's come up with a plan. I bet we could figure out what to do. That is the one that the resident is going to look back and say, that's who I'm going to call if I need something. When I'm an attending, that's who I'm going to call because they're not going to make me feel bad. I know that they are understand that sometimes things we don't know, but I remember when we had a difficult patient, they said, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't know, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to be there for the patient the whole time. I'm going to do the right thing for the patient, whether that's ask, my partner doesn't have to do it if I could do it, but I could ask them if I hide, I don't ask them. And maybe my partner should have had it, but my partner should have had it. Not because I'm not capable. What I'm not capable of is being strong and being strong is being vulnerable. And that's where I think Brene Brown's work comes up the most is that we are the most strong when we're vulnerable. When we say, I don't know. And they say, you should know. I'm like, well, I know now. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, it's the, it's the saying that I don't know what to do, but no one knows. And I don't know what to do. And that's okay. Cause I'm going to figure it out. And I shouldn't be doing this. Well, actually, I mean, is that true? And I think that's the thought that comes up is when your imposter comes up and say, you shouldn't be doing this. We say, well, what do you mean? Why shouldn't I do this? I kind of think I should. Let's talk about it. And then it's like a negotiation, you know, then you're saying that, and then, and sometimes I have a point, you know, this can happen too. Like I'm in a community center or a community hospital. And there's certainly some big cases that I don't do all that often. Should I be doing this? And when I'm, when I asked myself, I was like, well, should I, you know, there's a, a complicated case that's coming up. And I said, I don't know if I should be doing this. And I was like, if I give it up, I, I'm probably gonna have to get up forever, you know, and then, but I want to be there for my patients. And so what else can I do? If I feel like I shouldn't do this case, what else can I do? And, and still be there for my patient. I have a partner. So we don't usually operate together. Um, I called him and I was like, Hey, I know you do this. I want to do this for this patient. You want to join me? And I do it. And then I could decide then. And it wouldn't have been wrong for me to decide not to do it either. Um, and I think um, we all come to points in our career where we decide not to do stuff. There's a lot of mental drama of stopping, not doing stuff. There's things that are easy, like thyroids. My boss says, I do the thyroids. I'm like, all right, <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> But then there's like this, what about this complex colorectal case? I do a lot of colon surgery. I do some rectal surgery. We do anal surgery. But this one, you know, um, it's, it's just sometimes as difficult to give up something as it is to move forward with it. Really what you have to do is just listen to that imposter. And it doesn't mean you're always going to win over the imposter. Sometimes the imposter actually has a point. This is the part of you that keeps you safe. Um, and rather than push it aside, which doesn't resolve anything, is just say, tell me why I shouldn't. Well, you don't, we only do this once a year. 
you shouldn't do this by yourself. All right, well, maybe you have a point, you know, <laughs> having that dialogue. I don't know. I'm now rambling. No, I like it. I mean, that's, that's, it is a really helpful point to, to be a little bit more curious about it instead of really just trying to shut it down, because I think it's always going to be there. As you said, it's what keeps us safe. And I think that's a good trait to have in a surgeon is to always be sort of like, is this, am, am I, am I okay? Am I doing this? Okay. Am I doing the right thing for the patient? But, you know, I think, you know, it extends way beyond that. Like, am I, should I really be in this, you know, position and should I really have this title and such like that? And so being, having that curiosity, I think is really helpful. Because that part is not the enemy. They're not holding us back. They're helping us. Um, and it, you know, it kind of goes back to the, it's not our first impression that's, that's right. It's not the difficult patient. You know, it's the underlying thing behind that. It's the fear, it's the uncertainty, it's the lack of control. Um, that imposter is just like the difficult patient. You know, they're, they're lashing out and they're hiding and they're trying to keep us from getting in trouble. So they're not the enemy. And once you welcome it in with the curiosity, I think that's the most like transient, we, we, you know, both times we spend a lot of time on the unintentional model, the thing running in the background, because the more time you spend in the unintentional model, then the intentional one becomes clear. It's just like, you know, me not telling Athena, well, just get up and block out 30 minutes of time. That will work for a little while, but you have to figure out why. And really, um, you know, the, the problem is, is us not taking control of our thoughts. The first one is not taking control of our, um, our own life. And this one is not listening to the part of our brain that we need to listen to that's keeping us safe, that has a point sometimes. Um, and that when we welcome it in, we can actually elevate ourselves and especially teaching residents. You're doing so Im such important work by doing that. And I think that women, not to be gender, because guys do this too, but we are helping change surgery because we are a little bit more open. We are willing to share. Um, and one of Brene Brown's um, aspects of moving beyond shame is you know, putting on the open, trusting other people talking kindly to yourself and owning the ending. Owning the ending of this patient is most helpful. This patient might have a complication, but I'm gonna be there for them and I'm gonna learn from them. And I'm gonna collaborate with other people. And maybe I can turn this patient into a textbook because then we'll figure out what needs to be done sometimes by realizing what might've happened. So it's the owning the end of the story that helps. Thank you, Amy, that's great. Thanks. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate you guys. I know it's, it takes a lot of guts to come up here and talk and stuff. And, but really, as you can see, we all have these things, you know, I have difficulty exercising. I have difficulty with the, the comment, the difficult, uh, not textbook patients and everybody does. And so this work really helps everybody else too. Good night, everyone. <laughs>